I don't know what some of you walked in here with today. I don't know even where you're at personally in your walk with the Lord, but I know this, that whatever you're facing, whether it's internal or external, God has a plan. And the reason that he has a plan is because he loves you. Jesus didn't come and show us a new way to be human and then die on the cross and come back to life just because he got bored one day. He loves us with an everlasting love that says if you come and you follow me and you become a part of my kingdom, this is how you can live. And so bring your burdens to me, drop them, and be free. Free from the worry, free from the shame, free from the condemnation, the guilt, the conviction. And now, when you do that, I invite you to grow in the likeness of me. What a beautiful invitation to grow into the image of the Son of Heaven. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your presence here this morning. I thank you that it's palpable and thick. Lord, you know we've been going through symbols of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. And so, Holy Spirit, I just thank you for being here this morning, for working in people's lives. Holy Spirit, thank you for being our comforter. Thank you for being the one who reveals the Word of God to us to not only walk alongside us, but live through us and in us. Thank you for that. Holy Spirit, we could do nothing without you. And so we thank you for your presence in our lives. And Lord, I lift up every person that's here this morning that may not know you as their Lord and Savior. I'm just going to take this moment. If you're here this morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you don't know Jesus, You've never made Jesus. You have not come to Jesus and say, I want you in my life. I want to follow you. I'm going to invite you just to come forward. If that's you, take that step out of your seat to say, I don't know what's going on right now. I just thought I was coming to church to hear about Jesus or how to make my life better. The first step is saying, I want Jesus in charge of my life. And I don't want me in charge of it. I am yielding my will to the will of God. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your presence here today. I thank you that you are moving in our midst. And may we respect and honor that. May we not quench the Holy Spirit and what he wants to do in our presence. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. 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 You may be seated. Kids, going back. Um, let me just 
let me just uh, say a couple things real quick. Um, if you're interested in leading a grow group, please hit me up after service. I was, we were supposed to have a sign-up sheet out there, um, and we didn't get one printed off. So if you are interested in leading a grow group, um, let me know. And uh, also, the Roar Conference, I'm really looking forward to that. Men, invite other men, and let's talk of manly things on that day. Can we do that? All right. Um, do I, I'm just going to ask this, this is totally off the cuff and not in script. Do I have anybody in here today that has a testimony and you'd like to share it? Anybody? Nobody? Eager's like, okay, I'm just going to sit down. Okay, that's fine. All right. Well, I want to give you that opportunity if, uh, if you have a testimony and want to share it, uh, please hit me up after service and let's, let's get it worked in because what I have learned is that we do not necessarily connect with someone in their triumph. We connect with people in their sorrows and their weaknesses. You know, when someone's first telling you their story, you're kind of like wondering, okay, what's their story? Where's this going? And so you're kind of questioning things. When you get to the end of the story and they, they've triumphed or they've overcome, you're happy for them. You're like, yes! Or maybe it didn't work out well and you're like, oh man, that's a bummer. But it's the in-between. It's in-between the start and the end where they hit the bottom and you're like, maybe you connect with them in that emotion, you connect with them in that feeling. That's where we're connected as humans. As human beings, we connect with each other in our sorrows, not necessarily our triumphs. And so our sorrows and our failures are not something to be ashamed of. They're connection points. And the sooner you see your sorrow and your failure as a connection point, the freer you're going to be in your spiritual walk. Amen. Don't hide it. Don't put it in a closet. Because that's where the connection begins. That's where the growth begins. And I might even go further to say that failure is not failure. Failure is only in how you look at it. Failure is not the opposite of success. Failure is the best friend of success. When you fail, you have learned. Maybe you've become more motivated. And the sooner that we stop seeing failure as missing the mark and see it as the best friend of success, you will pick yourself up by your bootstraps and march forward and try again. If success is Batman, then failure is Robin, and there are occasions when Robin saves Batman. There are occasions where your failure sets up your success. Success doesn't happen overnight. Success doesn't just spring on somebody. You might know them because they've succeeded and hit the spotlight, but look for the backstory because that's where you're going to find they were molded and crafted. And so if you're here this morning and you have failed, 
or you feel like a failure, I'm here to tell you, get up. Your failure is just a setup for your get up. Step up. You haven't missed the mark. Failure is success's best friend. They go hand in hand. Because you learn, you adjust, you become more motivated. And I don't know who that was for this morning. But we're going to continue our series, Symbols of the Holy Spirit. Today we're going to talk about the dove as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. We find throughout Scripture, the Holy Spirit is represented in multiple ways. We've looked at wind. We've looked at fire. Um, we've also we've looked at uh, wine. Now, today we're going to look at the dove. Now, the dove is an interesting creature, and I, I actually learned some things. And so as we get towards the end of, this, of the sermon, um, I'm going to share with you something that I learned as I was studying. Uh, one of the joys of being a pastor is that you kind of study like your fingers reach out and you study all sorts of stuff um, as one thing leads to another. Just keep tunneling down. Okay, imagine that in studying. <laughs> um, anyway, all right, I digress. Mark chapter 1, verse 10 is probably the greatest symbol of the Holy Spirit as a dove. When Jesus goes to John the Baptist to be baptized, you can find this event not only in Mark chapter 1, verse 10, but Matthew 3.16, Luke 3.22, and John 1.32. But we're just going to take a look at Mark. And it says, Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Now I want you to notice something. It says, like a dove. Now we often interpret that, and artists will paint pictures of a dove, you know, Jesus coming up out of the water of the River Jordan, and artists will paint a picture of of a dove descending on Jesus. Now, there's some argument as to whether or not the word like means the Holy Spirit showed up in the form of a dove and descended on Jesus, or he landed like a dove lands, and that is soft and gentle and, and so on. So you can take that to mean what you want and which side of the fence you're on, or it doesn't matter to me. The point is, the writers say that the, dove, that the Holy Spirit came like a dove, and the dove is found throughout Scripture. We're going to take a look at one of the other key verses, the key events in Scripture, where a dove is very important. But doves traditionally in Scripture symbolize a few things, and we're going to look at, we're going to look at three of them. One, they represent purity. They represent purity. I, in case you haven't caught this, it seems like fire and wind and wine and now a dove, all represent, in their own way, purity, don't they? Fire removes the impurities. We, we talked about wind and how it blows the stench out. I mean, if you don't believe me, just live out in the country, and when the wind shifts directions, you get hog smell, right? So wind, just, you think the smog in L.A. is bad now? Could you imagine if there was no wind? I mean, wind cleans things out. Wine, as we saw in the parable of the Good Samaritan, wine is used to clean out impurities in the cuts and bruises. And so it seems like one of the major roles of the Holy Spirit is to begin to purify us. And so purity is the first one. Then we have peace. The dove represents peace. We'll see that here in just a little bit. And then the third thing is hope. Doves represent hope. 
In Genesis, we have a story of Noah. Anybody, anybody, let me see your hands if you know, remember the story of Noah. I don't ask, you don't need no details, but you're from Noah, right? There was this dude, built a boat, saved a bunch of animals. We like to put them in nurseries, paint the walls with a bunch of animals because it's all cutesy, right? Well, there's actually, uh, this is just a side note, but in every mythology of culture, whether it's Babylonian, uh, Babylonian, which is now Iran-Iraq mythology, Egyptian mythology, Greek mythology, Norse, which is Norwegian mythology, Japanese mythology, um, all mythologies of the world have a world-cleaning flood story in them, all of them, which is interesting, isn't it? tells me that it probably at some point in human history, even if all I had was the Bible, I would believe it. That's not my point. But at some point in human history, there was a cataclysmic worldwide flood. Germanic mythology in Germany, worldwide flood in their mythology as well. So there was apparently a worldwide cleaning flood. Now, all of them indicate that there was a person and his family that saved the earth, almost in all of these mythologies. It's very interesting. So the Bible tells us, that was just a side note, you can Google that later. The Bible tells us that Noah was a righteous man, and that he was holy. And it says that God called him and his family to build an ark. And so he gets in this ark, and it rains and it pours. And they laugh at Noah. You're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. And if you read the account, one of the reasons they laugh at Noah is because Noah says it's going to rain from the sky. And it's never rained from the sky up until that point. It's always the earth watered itself from the ground up prior to that. And Noah's like, no, no, no. There's going to be clouds and rain's going to come down. And they're like, you're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. It's never done that. Right? Can you imagine the first time a drop hits somebody's nose at that moment? <laughs> uh right? Um, men, it's kind of like when you can't find the ketchup in the fridge, but you can spot the deer 500 yards away, blended in, and then your wife says the ketchup's right here, and you're like, it wasn't there. You put that there. Like, you find every reason to explain why the ketchup wasn't there, right? I'm the only one? Okay, thank you. All right, so but something happens towards the ends of the flood. Noah has to find out, is the water receded? So what's he going to send out? I mean, is he going to send out a leopard? That's not going to work. What's he send? He's not sending out any fish because they don't need to be on the ark, right? There's no need for, to have aquatic animals on the ark. He might have. I don't know. I wasn't there. But he sends out, the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 8. Let's read this together. Genesis chapter 8, 6 through 9. After 40 days, Noah opened a window he had made in the ark and sent out a raven, and it kept flying back and forth until the water had dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground. But the dove could find nowhere to perch because there was water all over the surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah in the ark. He reached out his hand and took the dove and brought it back to himself in the ark. Let's go on. And then in verse 12, he waited seven more days and sent the dove out again, but this time it did not return to him. 
So Noah says, okay, I've got to figure out if there's land, if we can get out of this boat, because honestly, I've had enough of this, <laughs> right? I'm in a floating zoo. Now, I want you to think about something. This is, as we talked about previously, this is the earth's first baptism, and it's in water. And what is baptism a symbol of? Baptism is a symbol of dying to the old and being born again and being new, right? So the earth, the old has died. And I want to camp on that word died right now, okay? I, don't, I know it's not half, you know, come to church to hear about dying. But there probably were a lot of dead things. Have you ever thought about this? Dead things tend to float. There are probably a lot of carcasses, both human and animal. It probably stunk, right? I mean, who knows? We, we don't really know, but here's, here's what I know. that he first, he first sends out a raven. He sends a raven out. And this is actually recorded in, um, this is actually recorded in Iran, Iraq, but uh, Babylonian mythology that the individual who created this boat sent a raven out. And so it's, it's interesting that Babylonian mythology and the Bible here align. But it says that for 40 days, he did, you know, after 40 days, he sent this raven out. Now, raven, a raven is a dirty bird. Have, did you, anybody know how dirty ravens are? I'm not going to tell you. Just get, they're dirty birds. They're dirty birds. It, it, why is that funny? Because y'all are thinking about the Atlanta Falcons, right? The dirty bird. They do the dirty bird. Okay. The NFL has started, all right? Just, it's coming. So, ravens will land wherever they think they can find food. And they will eat whatever they can find. So if there's a floating, car and I'm trying to be gross this morning, but I'm trying to be real here. If there's a floating dead carcass, guess where the raven's going to land? On the carcass. And guess what the raven's going to pick on? Right? But it's not fit for humanity. That's not fit for humans. But the raven doesn't care. They're dirty birds. They will eat whatever they can find. It's out to fulfill its own natural desire, right? It's out to fulfill its own natural desire. And there's likely that there were plenty of carcasses around for, these, for this raven. And why, Moses writes then, this raven just flew back and forth. I'll go over here and pick on this body, and I'll go over here and I'll pick on this, and I'll go over here and pick on this. And some of you are looking like, Ugh. stop talking about this. But ravens don't care. A raven represents you prior to Jesus, just feeding your soul with whatever you want, doing whatever you want, picking whatever you desire, flying around, being free spirit, and picking this and picking that, and it doesn't matter, it's all good. And yet the Bible tells us that prior to Christ, we're all just dead and decaying and dying. And in the story of Noah, the, rep the raven represents us prior to Jesus, that we don't, we don't care, it's just, you know, whatever you feel like doing. Does that sound familiar? Just be you. I might preach a sermon on why you should not be you someday. I'm going to, I mean, just pile up your thoughts in the last 48 hours. That alone should be proof that 
Just don't be you, right? Be better than you. So the raven represents you prior to Jesus in a world where sin is just rampant, where death and decay is just rampant. Listen, our old life prior to Jesus doesn't mind the things of the world. It will just feed on whatever the news media gives you. It'll feed on whatever social media gives you. And it'll work you up and get mad. Or it'll calm you down. And you you just constantly run after one thing after another after another. This is why I can talk to somebody who's 55 years old and they're still drinking on the weekends like they were when they were in high school. They, they just, it doesn't change. They don't, there's no growth. It's, this is just what I've always done. This is all I know. This is who I am. And God wants to look down and go, no. No. Quit feeding on the dirt of the world. And this is the raven. But the dove, on the other hand, Doves are selective. Doves won't land just anywhere. Doves will only land where it's clean, where it's hospitable, where they feel they can, where they can stay clean. They're very selective, very particular birds. They're not just going to take anything that's floating around. And in the time of Noah, he sends out a raven, and the raven's like, yeah, this is all good. Then he gets kind of smart and goes, let me pick a different bird. <laughs> right? And he sends, out a, he sends out the dove. And the dove is particular, and it's picky, and it's interested in being clean. It wants to be clean. And we'll, we'll get into in a few minutes how each of these birds clean themselves. It's kind of just weird. But St. Thomas Aquinas had this to say about the dove. He says, the turtle dove and the dove denoted the union of the two natures, or else the turtle dove signified chastity, while the dove was a figure of charity. He says, of the doves, he said, the turtle dove is one of sexual, physical purity, chastity. I'm saving myself for marriage. I'm not, I'm not giving you my body and my soul and my mind in the act of physical intimacy until you put a ring on it and we get married. That's the turtle dove, Thomas Aquinas says. He says that represents chastity. He said the dove represents charity and represents love. Love. And they're both in the dove family. They're both in the dove family, but they're two different things, yet connected. So Thomas Aquinas says this is This is purity, the dove. St. Thomas is making a a point here that the dove represents purity in all things. But what they would do in the Old Testament is if you couldn't bring a, a, a lamb, a spotless lamb to sacrifice, you were allowed to bring a dove because it was pure. It was a clean bird. It was pure. And you'd bring it to the temple. Now, we all know that an animal sacrifice doesn't cleanse you of your sins, right? It's just kind of like, it's like a cover-up. And so what they would do is they would put the, the lamb or the dove on the altar and they would sacrifice it. And there's specific instructions in the Old Testament on how they are to wring the bird's neck and how they are to cut it and pluck its feathers. It's all very detailed in the Old Testament that the priests are to do this. And constantly, 
blood would flow from the sacrifice altar seven days a week. It would just flow as people were bringing offerings for their sins, constantly bringing offerings, and the blood would flow. And you'd walk into the temple, and you'd see the blood flowing, and it would be a reminder that, yes, I need to make things right with God, but God has already sacrificed and provided the animal for me, so I will bring it, sacrifice it, and God... And then there's a moment in history in which the Lamb of God says, no more of this. I will die in the place. Stop with the animal sacrifices. I will take care of sin once and for all. And while one sacrifice covered over the sin, the final sacrifice removed sin once and for all. And I'm here to tell you that whatever you're going through, whatever you're dealing with, the blood is still flowing. And it's still for you. And it's still available not only to cover over your sins, but completely remove your sins. So that you can go before God and say, God, thank you for shedding your blood on the cross. So I don't have to keep walking up with animals all the time. Now, there's far more to it than that. But that's just very surface level understanding. And Jesus says, my blood is sufficient for you. All I invite you to do is to believe in me and to accept me. And so here we are 2,000 years later, and I want you to know that the blood is still flowing. That you can accept it and walk in that. Why does blood matter? Because life is in the blood. Life is in the blood. Right? Life is in the blood. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, you can just write these down. These won't be on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 22 through 25. 1 Corinthians 1, 22 through 25. Romans 5, 8. Romans 5, 8. John 15, 13. All tell us that the love of God intervened on our behalf. God sent Jesus because he loves us. Now we can, we can maybe, maybe you've heard that God was angry with humanity and he needed somebody to take out his vengeful wrath on and so he just poured it out on Jesus, right? Yeah, kind of, but it moreover was love. It was love that caused Jesus to step down out of heaven and say, I'll take the brunt of this. I will take the brunt of everything because I love you and I want to restore my entire creation to myself. And so the Bible says that yet, while we were still sinners, while we were dirty ravens, flying after everything of the world and everything the world has to offer, I'll step in. I'll step in and show you what love looks like and show you what being, this is the way humanity was designed to operate. Look at my life, because this is what humanity was supposed to be. And I'm willing to die to give you the opportunity to follow that and to accept that. And that option is still here today. But it isn't just enough to say, I accept your sacrifice in my place. Right? I mean... If you had a child that was drowning in the middle of a lake and somebody swam out to save your child, but they drowned in the process, but they saved your child, how long would you be indebted to that person? 
So this is not a rhetorical question. It's a lifetime, isn't it? Okay. We were all drowning. God looks out and goes, my creation is drowning. I need somebody to swim out, swim out in the middle of the lake and save them. It may cost you your life. And Jesus steps up and says, I'll do it. I'll save humanity and I'll restore creation. If somebody went out and saved your child like that, you'd be indebted to them forever. Yet we think, I can just come and I'm going to give my life to Jesus and then I'll just go on about and do whatever I want. No, probably not. <laughs> Salvation isn't like that. I would probably say then you don't really get it. You don't really get it. And my prayer for you this morning is that you would. But in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, Jesus says to his disciples, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, okay, first off, Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm sending you out into the world to tell about me. One of the things that Jesus did in his ministry is he would send his disciples out in front of him. So if Jesus, if Jesus was going to a town, he would send Peter and Thomas out to that town and tell them, hey, Jesus is on his way. And that would prepare the town to receive Jesus. And so he says, listen, I'm going to send you out. And there are going to be wolves. And there are going to be people out there that don't like my ministry. There are going to be people out there that don't like you because you're associated with me. The, the world is like ravenous wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. What an odd thing to combine together, right? Be shrewd. Be wise. Be intelligent. Think through things, right? Like a snake. Snake just kind of makes its way in, 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 like a snake doesn't just bite anything, right? And then as innocent as doves. The word innocent is the Greek word akerios. It means not mixed or mingled with anything else. He tells his disciples, don't mix and mingle your life with other junk. Be pure. Be pure. Right? Nobody, listen, no, nobody wants water that's been diluted with junk in it. Right? Right? Right. Don't dilute your life. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm not diluted. Don't dilute your life. Don't dilute it. He says, be innocent. The word innocent means not to be diluted with other stuff. It's purity. It's what it means to be pure. The second thing that a dove represents is that a dove represents peace. Now, I told you I was going to tell you how these birds clean themselves. So wild. Ravens, the dirty bird, when they get dirty, they will find an anthill. And they will land and they will lay on the anthill and spread out and allow the ants to cover their body. Just, and 
not only will they allow the ants to cover their body, they will begin to roll around on the dirt in the anthill. And the ants will begin to eat the bacteria and the gunk off of, off of the birds, off the raven's feathers. And then when the raven is done cleaning itself, he's covered in food. And he just eats the ants off his body. Well, you all go, <laughs> You guys don't watch Discovery too much, do you? And so the raven will roll around in the dirt, covered in ants, and then when he's done, thinks he's clean enough, he will start eating the ants off his body and pecking them off and eating them. It's a dirty bird. It's a very intelligent bird. But how do you know you can be a completely dirty person but still be intelligent? Right? Just because somebody is a dirty person doesn't mean they're not intelligent. It just means they've got ethical, moral issues. Right? That's just gross. Anyway, ravens clean themselves by killing other animals as food. I wonder how many people put other people down, make fun of other people, just so they can feel better and cleaner about themselves. Well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. God will let me into heaven because I haven't killed as many people as Hitler did. Right? We always like to compare, but God never does that. He goes, it's you. You and me. I won't compare you to anybody else because I made you unique. Right? Doves? You gotta love doves. Where's the bird bath? Like, that's it. Where's the bird bath? Where's the water? Right? Now, I, I get that water's not always clean, but they're at least not rolling around in an anthill eating ants off their body. Doves are, are, are cleaner in that they will find water. They will find a source of water to clean themselves and let the water run off. Now, the Bible tells us in Genesis, <laughs> Noah sent out this raven, and this raven just keeps flying back and forth and doing its thing. And I, if it's any raven, like I know, it's eating the dead carcass, the dead stuff. And then, if you read that, it said 40 days after the flood, the dove it says that the, the dove, he sent the dove out, and the dove brought back an olive branch, which is, which is a symbol of peace. So 40 days, Noah goes, okay, Raven's not working out. He's not helping me. Let's find a different bird. Release the dove. The dove goes out and finds a sign of life and brings it back. Why does the dove bring the branch back? Because it can't find any place to land. Because it's not going to land on a dead carcass. It goes back and says, hey, there is life out there. There is life. Unlike this raven, I found life. And he, the dove brings it back. And that has, for eons, been a symbol of peace. And so the dove almost comes back and says, hey, God has made peace with humanity by purging it and cleaning it and bringing back that symbol of peace. Now, if you continue to read the story, you'll find that Noah later sends the dove back out 
and the dove never returns. And so Noah then knows, okay, there's a safe place for humanity. There's a clean place for humanity to begin to live again. But here's what's interesting. 40 days after the resurrection, Pentecost happened. And the Holy Spirit, which is assembled by a dove, was sent 40 days after the resurrection. Noah sent the dove out 40 days after the baptism of the planet. Coincidence? I don't think so. And so the flood of Noah is a symbol of the earth being made new and being saved. And then when Jesus comes back and he's resurrected 40 days later, he sends the Holy Spirit into the upper room to say, hey, I've come to bring life. I'm showing you there are signs of life out there, and there's a new way to be human, and there's a new way to do life. And if you follow me, I will bring you peace. He says, just like the world was, just like the planet and humanity was baptized in the flood of Noah, 40 days later, he sends out the dove and says, hey, there's peace. And 40 days after the resurrection, he sends the Holy Spirit to say, hey, there is peace and there is life. I just invite you to come with me and to do it and to be a part of it. And what does that say? That screams hope, doesn't it? Which is the third and final thing. It screams hope that, hey, there is life beyond this and there is a way to live and there is a way to connect with our creator and to be connected to something bigger than ourselves so that we don't have to continue to be and look like ourselves. That's just going around feeding off of anything we can find. The dove came back with hope. And isn't that what we need right now? More than anything, it's just some hope that God's got this. One of the songs I remember my dad teaching me growing up was, he's got the whole world in his hands. Do you remember that song? I'm going to spare you from trying to sing it. But I won't sing it. But he's got the whole world in his hands. There's hope in that. There's hope in knowing that. Where's the, where's the hope? Well, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, it tells us that when you accept Christ, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit in you is a seal of your salvation, and it is a promise and a hope of things to come. God says, hey, you've accepted me. I'm putting the Holy Spirit inside of you as a seal. In the Romans chapter 8, verse 16, it tells us that when we accept Christ, we become his children. And as a result of being his children, now everything that dad has is available to us. Hope. Hope. Because prior to Jesus, I had no hope. I had, I had only what was available to me and in the world I lived in. But in Romans 8, 16, as a child, I've got access to dad's cupboard or dad's toolbox. And if I don't put the tool back, he isn't going to yell at me. Where's that wrench? He's not going to do that. He says, hey, I'm missing a wrench. Have you seen the wrench? Right? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. There's hope in knowing that our God is gracious, our God is loving, that he's caring, that he has sealed us with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. And he says, hey, when I send the Holy Spirit, he's going to start messing with your life. He's going to start cleaning stuff up. You're not going to be able to just go around and pick off and eat off anything you want and do whatever you want anymore. Life will become different. 
You may not know this. This is, as I, as I wrap this up, I didn't know. Did you guys know that pigeons are in the dove family? That technically pigeons are, okay, y'all are smarter than me. So pigeons are doves. Yeah. In fact, um, anybody ever heard of, I'm going to botch this name up, but Cher Ami. Cher Ami. Anybody heard? There's Cher Ami right there. There's Cher Ami. Cher Ami has been taxidermied. Cher Ami is on display in a French museum. And they say, what is the significance of Cher Ami and why is a taxidermied pigeon with one leg on display at a French museum in France? Well, what you need, uh, pigeons and doves were used as far, back in, as far back as the Greek Empire to communicate between armies. The Greek Empire would use pigeons to fly back and forth, messages back and forth, and the Roman Empire and so on. And pigeons were used to carry messages as far up as the 1940s between militaries. Think about that. How we got radio, we got all this other stuff. But you can't use radio because they'll, they'll figure out where you're at. They'll hone in on the radio transmission. So we'll use pigeons. Your enemy can use your radio frequency to figure out where you're at. But the pigeon... And so... This pigeon, Cher Ami, flew 12 missions, and in World War I, the U.S. Army and intelligence, this pigeon worked for Army intelligence, <laughs> probably says all we need to know about that. Anyway, worked for Army intelligence, and on October the 4th, 19, 1918, Cher Ami flew its last mission. Cher Ami was delivering... A, a message because uh, Major Charles Whitley's, it is now known as the Lost Battalion, got lost. And they were surrounded by the Germans. The 70, 77th Infantry was surrounded by Germans, about ready to be gunned down. So they had a pigeon with them. They had a dove. And the dove, they sent the dove out, share a me. This is its final mission. I'm sorry. But this is its last mission. Cherami gets shot. The bullet rips through one leg. If you can put Cherami back on the screen. Rips through one leg and then rips through its breast. Like came, the bullet comes flying up. But Cherami was undaunted and continued to fly with a bleeding leg and blood all over the front to deliver its message back to Army intelligence to say, hey, the 77th Infantry is surrounded and stranded. And they're about ready to be taken out by the Germans. And when they got the message, overwhelming backup showed up on the scene to save the 77th Infantry. And so Cherami is now on display in a French museum for its heroic efforts to save the 77th Infantry. Why? Because this dove was not going to be deterred from its mission. Here's what I want you to know. If the Holy Spirit is living in you, the Holy Spirit will not be deterred from its mission. It has a purpose. And the moment that you feel like you're surrounded by the enemy, the Holy Spirit will go out for you and bring in backup to whatever you're facing. 
regardless of what the Holy Spirit has to go through, regardless of what you might be fighting, regardless of how you might be feeling, I want you to know that the Holy Spirit will not be deterred from helping you in your time of need. It will go out and get you the help you need. Let's stand up this morning. And if you're here this morning, did you know that you can pray directly to the Holy Spirit who's in you? Holy Spirit, I need your help today. Holy Spirit, I need you to, man, Holy Spirit, could you just move in this moment in my life? Holy Spirit, I, I need you to, I need you to be like share of me and go get me some, I need some help. And the Holy Spirit promises to come back with overwhelming forces to overwhelm the enemy and to protect you when you feel like you're pinned down and you feel like life's, about, and life's gunning for you and you don't feel like you can make it. The Holy Spirit is there for you. Do you know that this morning? Jesus said, I'll send the comforter, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is your comforter. Imagine if you're a soldier in the 77th Infantry in the trench in World War I, and you look up and you see your infantry throw the pigeon up and the pigeon flies off, doesn't that bring hope? Backup's coming. Just hang on tight, boys. Backup's coming. As we close in song, if you're here, you need prayer for anything. I'm going to ask Aaron and Lori to come down on this side, and I'm going to ask that, uh, if, Josh, if you'd come down on this side. We want to pray with you this morning as we close out. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence here today. Lord, as I, I pray that as we leave this place that we might see the Holy Spirit as one who comes to bring peace, to say, hey, humanity can have peace with God, that we can have peace in our own lives. And that in and of itself is reason to have hope and to have hope for our life. And no matter what circumstance that we're going through, Lord, we know that we can speak to you through the power of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit will communicate for us and through us as the book of Romans says, that, Lord, we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are saved, that we are sealed, and that, God, we can look to you as the author and finisher of our faith, the lifter of our heads. In Jesus' name, everybody said... Amen. Amen. You guys have an awesome week. We'll see you next week.